بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing our exploration of the study Qur'an, we are on Ayah 6 of Al-Fatiha. Following upon the previous phrase in which one asks for God's help in servitude and obedience, guide us can be understood as a prayer for perseverance in following the straight path and thus for continued aid and for being made firm in following the way of truth. Since... For those who believe and perform righteous deeds, their Lord guides them by their faith. Okay, so so we're saying, guide us in the straight path. So one way this is understood is the previous ayah said we turn to Allah uh, in obedience and we turn to Allah in, in, in seeking help. So naturally we're going to turn to him for this. And then the key aspect of guidance is that we're seeking his help in, in being on the straight path which includes uh, more aid and being firm, which then means that guide us to perform the right deeds. So it's when you're asking for guidance, it's as though you're not just asking, okay, please show me the door to walk through. It's as though you're almost asking, please make my deeds change, which then could mean make, give me motivations in my life that will cause me to change my behavior. And there's, so it's from that comes the assumption that there there is always something to change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's always space to improve. If you're at a point where you think you don't need improvement, that itself is a point of improvement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, continue. Uh, the request for guidance also implies seeking to be led to God himself and thus a desire for intimacy with him, nearness, nearness to him, knowledge of him, and love for him. Okay, so so then what is the destination of the straight path? It is Allah, right? So the straight path can mean, you know, the path that avoids hell. It can mean the path that leads to paradise, but ultimately it's the path that leads you to Allah, which includes intimacy with Allah, Nearness, knowledge of him, love for him, and it, it's almost like these would go into reverse order. To develop love for Allah by way of knowledge of him, which then would lead to nearness of him, nearness to him, and then uh, intimacy with him, right? This very deep, private relationship with Allah, right? Okay. In this sense, it is also understood to mean make our hearts incline unto thee, direct our aspirations unto thee, and be our guide, our guide from thee unto thee in order that we not be cut off by thee from that which is thine. Okay, say that in simple English. Yeah, oh my gosh. Make um, make our hearts incline towards you, direct uh -huh. our aspirations towards uh -huh. you, uh, be our guide towards you in order that we not be cut off by you from what is yours. Mm -hmm. So it's basically saying make our whole being be in service to you. So if we read it that way, then what we're saying is that there's aspects of me that are not in service to Allah and might even be in rebellion against Allah. And my goal in over the course of my life is for my entire being to be in complete service to Allah, complete servitude to Allah. That's what these prayers are asking for. On the intellectual level, following the straight path can be understood to mean using one's God-given intelligence correctly in order to reach the truth rather than deviating from the straight path 
of thinking and intellection, and thus thinking in a manner that will lead to error. Mm -hmm. So the previous way was looking at the straight path by way of, of action, and then he's also speaking about the straight path by way of just your own reflection. Okay. And so, so the point is using your intellect to get closer to God. And using your intellect to prevent you from getting further away from God. So there's an aspect of rationality in all of this too. Okay, continue. The straight path indicates a clear road with no crookedness or deviation. That's, that's pretty straightforward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> From a religious perspective, it is a middle way that avoids worldliness on the one hand and extreme asceticism on the other. So, so then what would be that space in the middle? So if worldliness is on one side and asceticism is on the other side, then what would be, how would you describe the middle way? So it's kind of a mixture of both. Right. So you are in the world, but you are not necessarily of the world. You're neither totally submerged in materialism, nor yeah. are you totally detached from the world, because yes. it's understood that you, you do have responsibilities in, mm -hmm. in being here, yes? You have responsibilities, you have things you care about, you have loves in this world, and those things. So extreme asceticism would even detach yourself from all your relationships. And no, we're saying right. your relationships are the heart of everything. Right. right? And those are in this world. Okay. It thus connotes a way of life that combines the outward way of the law with the inward way of spirituality, or the exoteric with the esoteric, so that one's outward nature is in servitude while one's inner nature is free. Okay, so uh, a few ways this is spoken about. The outward being your actions is the realm of sharia, and the inward being the realm of your heart is the way of haqiqa, or the Sufis, or ihsan, Thus, exoteric would be the realm of Sharia, esoteric would be the realm of, of the Haqiqa or, or the Sufis. And so your outward actions should be in obedience to Allah. Okay? And the better you are at your outward actions, then the better your condition your heart will be to be free from all the things that hold it back. Mm -hmm. The Prophet is said to guide his community upon this path. The Islamic community, Ummah, is thus described as a middle community that follows a middle way in actions, ethics, thought, and all aspects of life. In describing the straight path, the Prophet is reported to have said, Allah has set forth a parable, a straight path that is surrounded by two walls on both sides, with several open doors within the walls covered by curtains. A caller on the gate of the path calls out, O people, stay on the path and do not deviate from it. Meanwhile, a caller from above the path is also warning any person who wants to open any of these doors, Woe unto you, do not open it, for if you open it, you will fall through. The straight path is Islam. The two walls are the limits set by Allah, while the doors refer to what Allah has prohibited. The collar on the gate of the path is the book of Allah, while the collar above the path is Allah's admonishment present in the heart of every Muslim. Okay, yeah, so, so the metaphor, I think, uh, is, is uh, pretty vivid. So you're walking along, and then you have these doorways you can take, um, but your goal is to stay on this straight path. And so there are many chances you'll have in life to make a choice that will knock you off the straight path, but you want to try to make choices that will keep you on the straight path. Some see the straight path as a reference to the Quran itself, while others say that it refers to Islam or to the Prophet. According to many Shiite commentaries, the straight path refers to the first Shiite Imam, Ali ibn Abu Talib, or to the Prophet and the Imams. Mm -hmm. So that becomes the difference between the Sunnis and Shias. Um, Sunnis would also say the Prophet, peace on him, and the Sahaba. Yeah. In contrast, several Sunni commentaries say that it refers oh, to the Prophet and his companions. Yeah, yeah. 
meaning the first two caliphs, Abu Bakr and Umar ibn al-Khattab. Mm -hmm. Each of these interpretations indicates something that different groups of Muslims believe will assure one of being upon the straight path, as long as one follows it. To be on the straight path, or a straight path, as it is usually presented in the Quran, can also be understood as walking with Allah to Allah, to Allah because Allah guides the believers unto himself upon a straight path. So what does that mean? How do you walk with Allah to Allah? What do you think? Um, that's abstract. Yeah, it's, it's not as complicated as it sounds because of the choice of wording. The wording makes it sound more complicated than it is, but basically it means that by way of <clears throat> trying to obey Allah, that is bringing you closer to Allah. Okay. So what does that mean? You're walking with Allah, you're obeying Allah, which means you're doing what you're doing out of obedience to Him, which means He's on your mind. Mm -hmm. And that whole process will, inshallah, get you closer and closer to Him. Okay. And with Allah, because Allah Himself is, is upon a straight path, is when the Prophet Hud? Hud, yeah. Hud. Is, is there a, a biblical I parallel? I don't know if there is. Because yeah. I've never heard that one before. No. Okay. Prophet Hud says, uh, Truly, I trust in Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. There's no creature that crawls, but that he holds it by its forelock. Truly, my Lord is upon a straight path. Mm -hmm. okay. The straight path is also understood as a reference to the Traverse that human beings and jinn must cross is the final stage of judgment before entering paradise or the garden. According to the prophet, this traverse is finer than a hair and sharper than a sword. Some will pass over it like wind and some will fly across it like birds. Others will trot like camels, yet others will only be able to crawl and some will be cast from it into hellfire. Okay, and then see that I said, yeah. So are you familiar with the sirat? So the sirat is this, uh, one of the last parts of the day of judgment. Yeah. Where you're basically going to go across this really thin bridge. And if you fall off, you're going to hell. And how do you fall off? Everything in your judgment will basically almost indicate whether you're going to fall off or make it to the other side. You're just going to now manifest it. And so, sirat al-mustaqim, the straight path, some understood it to mean that actual path that you're going to take at the very end of it all. So guide us on that straight path. Okay. Any immediate thoughts or questions? So now let's talk about the path of those whom you have blessed, not of those who incur wrath, nor of those who are astray. Ayah number seven. According to some accounts, this verse is in fact two verses, the first of which ends with hast blessed. Mm -hmm. The first part offers clarification regarding those who will be guided upon the straight path, which is further elaborated in Surah 4, Ayah 69. Whosoever obeys Allah and the messengers, they are with those whom Allah has blessed, the prophets, the truthful ones, the witnesses, and the What beautiful companions are they? Mm -hmm. So that ayah is the one that's very commonly cited for commentary. And what does it mean to be on the straight path of those whom he has blessed? And then we have four groups of people. The Nabiyin, the, the prophets. Actually, the first part of the first description is the people who obey Allah and his messenger. Meaning, if I obey Allah and his messenger, then I'm on the straight path. Or, if I'm on the straight path, I obey Allah and his messenger. And who are such people? Uh, these are the prophets themselves. The truthful ones would be the siddiqeen. The witnesses would be the shuhada. And then the salihin would be the righteous. And so, so what does that mean? It means, aside from the prophets, who are going to? what is the result of being on the straight path? To be 
the siddiqin or the truthful ones, as it's translated here, it means you will be better and better at recognizing truth, recognizing reality. Yeah. So siddiq is not just truthful, it's truthful and you recognize truth when you see it. And then shuhada, meaning witnesses, um, you're walking the walk. And salihin means you have upright character. You have such upright character that it compels other people around you to be upright in their behavior. So these will be consequences of being on the straight path. And then the last part of it, what a beautiful, what beautiful companions are they? One way to develop the, one way to get myself on the straight path is to put myself in the company of people who are on the straight path. So to look for those types of people and keep myself in their company, right? Because you'll become like your friends. Okay, continue. Those who are blessed by Allah are also said to be those whom Allah has purified so that they are able to attain unto him. Mm -hmm. And those whom he has blessed by causing them to be mindful of the observance of the law and its decrees. The latter experience the realization of spiritual realities, but do not go beyond the limits of knowledge or violate any of the decrees of the law. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, that's straightforward. And the key point being that the key to get closer to Allah is by better and better observance of the law. That's the key. And, and so, like, you know, one of my teachers, he says that the law is the milk and then the spirituality is the butter and the butter comes straight from the milk, right? We often think of spirituality as something different than the law, but it comes directly from the obedience to the law. Yeah. Okay. Not of renders the accepted part of particle ghayr, mm -hmm. which is understood to be attached to the path. Mm -hmm. It could also be read as being attached to them, in which case it would mean the path of those whom you have blessed, not those who incur wrath. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, both readings yield the same essential meaning. According to some, those who incur wrath are the idolaters, and those who are astray are the hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Others relate the terms to two cat... cat Oops. There's a spider on my comb. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it be. Right. Um, others relate the term to two categories of sin in which disbelief incurs wrath and lesser sin results from being astray. Mm -hmm. Still others relate the terms to those who exhibit various moral shortcomings, such as those who are heedless and those who are... I don't know that word. Profligate? Yeah. Um, let me look it up for you really quickly. I mean, I think it's, yeah, extravagant, recklessly extravagant, so licentious. In this sense, the two terms together can be understood as a reference to all the various degrees of those who are spiritually debased and lost and preoccupied with procuring some share of the fortunes of this world. Okay. Yeah, so think of this as three types of people. Either you can be those on the straight path, or you are um, those upon whom is anger, or you are those who are astray. And those upon whom is anger and those who are astray ultimately are people who are immersed in the world in one of two different ways. Okay. Regarding those who incur wrath, Surah 16, Ayah 106 says, Whosoever opens his breast unto disbelief, upon them shall be the wrath of Allah. And 42.16 says, Of those who argue about Allah after having responded to him, their argument is baseless. In the eyes of their Lord, wrath shall be upon them, and their, theirs shall be a severe punishment. Mm -hmm. In addition, 48.6 says of the hypocrites and the idolaters, Allah is wroth with them. Mm. How about that word? Yeah. <laughs> curses them and prepares hell for them. 
Allah's wrath is also said to be upon those who murder believers. Regarding those who are astray, a far more prevalent Quranic concept, 390 states, truly those who disbelieve after having believed, then increase in disbelief, their repentance shall not be accepted, and they are the ones astray. 2108 states, whosoever exchanges belief for disbelief has gone astray from the right way. And 4136 declares, whosoever does not believe in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers, and the last day has wandered far astray. Mm -hmm. Addressing the psychology of being astray, 2850 asks rhetorically, who is more astray than one who follows his caprice without guidance? Yeah, Allah? so your caprice would be your hawa. And so all of us have this within us. It's like this wind... It's like a wind that overtakes us where it's just we feel compelled to do some particular thing wrong. And then eventually, if we can outlast the wind, the wind eventually goes away. Thus, your caprice. So it's often translated as your whims and desires. Read in light of many of the many verses that refer to incurring wrath and being astray, the final verse of this surah can be understood as a prayer to follow the way of those whom Allah raises in degrees meaning those who believe and those who have been given knowledge, and those who believe and who do not obscure their belief through wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. And to avoid the way of the disbelievers, some of whom are astray, and with some of whom Allah is wrath. Okay, so what are we talking about here? That you do have levels of belief, you have levels of rejection. And so either you get raised up or you get debased. From one perspective... Verses 6 through 7 refer to the manner in which all human beings are moving toward their Lord. As in 84 6, O mankind, truly thou art laboring unto thy Lord laboriously, and shall meet him. And in 518, and unto him is the journey's end. All things eventually return to Allah, but in various ways and by various means. As in 67.22, is one who walks with his face stooped down more guided? Or one who walks upright upon a straight path. So keep in mind, especially that first ayah that's quoted from Surah 84, ayah 6. Okay, you are laboring unto your Lord laboriously, laboriously. And that's one teaching about the nature of this world. This world is a place of, of hard labor. Non-stop hard labor. Yeah. This verse is thus a request to be among those who proceed toward Allah with honor and dignity rather than with shame and disgrace. Mm -hmm. The different qualities of the paths followed by the three categories mentioned in this verse are revealed by the different ways in which they are presented. Those whom thou hast blessed conveys an action performed by Allah in the past tense, thus giving a sense of finality and certitude in that Allah's blessing and favor upon them have already occurred. Those who incur wrath does not name an active agent or say definitively that the outcome has occurred, only that they are subject to wrath. Mm -hmm. This indicates that although they have already acted in a manner, that may warrant divine punishment and retribution, Allah's wrath has not yet come upon them and the door of repentance remains open. Since Allah guides to himself whosoever turns in repentance. Mm -hmm. The absence of an active agent in this phrase also reflects the general Quranic principle that Allah does not wrong human beings in the least, but rather human beings wrong themselves. Okay. And the idea of wronging yourselves means if I commit a sin against you, if I commit a crime against you, I'm actually the one who's suffering. Because you might suffer in this world, but you'll be paid back on the other side, which means you're going to be paid back from me. So every wrong that I do against someone else is actually a strike against me on the other side. So I'm truly oppressing myself. Yeah. Being astray can result from something intentional or something done by mistake. Thus those who are astray may not have committed actions that merit divine retribution, 
as is made clear when Moses says that he was one of those who are astray before the beginning of his mission as one of Allah's messengers. And when Allah, using the third person instead of the first, asks the Prophet Muhammad, did he not find the astray and guide? In the sense, being astray describes all those who do not actively live in accord with revelation. So this is an interesting point. Astray could mean that you're just off the path, or astray could mean that you're just not fulfilling the entirety of, revel of revelation. So it doesn't mean that you're off the path, it's just that you're not 100% on the path. Given the various degrees of being astray from those who exchange belief for disbelief, to prophets who have not yet been guided in their prophetic mission, the request is not the request to not be among those who are astray can be seen as a request for help in remembering Allah at all times and never acting in a manner that would be contrary to the injunctions of the revelation. So there it is again, internally and externally. Internally, you're always remembering Allah. You're never not remembering Him. And externally, your behavior is not violating the injunctions. When the straight path is understood as the vertical path of ascent, toward Allah, those who incur wrath can be understood as a reference to those upon the path of descent away from Allah, while those who are astray meander horizontally away from the path that leads toward the transcendent. These three possibilities then correspond to the three dimensions of space and symbolize all the possibilities of the human state. Based upon a saying attributed to the prophet, though not considered to be of the highest degree of authenticity, one interpretation given by a number of commentators is that those who incur wrath and those who are astray referred to Jews and Christians, respectively. In this vein, those who incur wrath is often connected with verses such as 261, 290, 3, 112, and 560, which speak of God's wrath and anger coming upon the children of Israel or upon the Jews. Likewise, those who are astray is often read in connection with 577, which warns, follow not the caprices of a people who went astray before, and led many astray and strayed from the right way and is understood as reference to Christians. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's some of the difficult aspects of these commentaries. You'll find some translations that will say, you know, guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, not the path of those upon whom is anger, such as the Jews, nor those who are astray, such as the Christians. Right. And so this is not a uniform interpretation, but it's also not regarded as a wrong interpretation. Of course, uh, the translation of Jews or Christians might be a problem because it could be the Judeans and the Nazarenes as opposed to Jews and Christians. Mm. Yeah. According to a hadith, when the prayer leader says, not of those who incur wrath, nor of those who are astray, you must say Amin. For if one's utterance of Amin coincides with that of the angels, his past sins will be forgiven. Upon the completion of the Fatiha, it is thus customary among Sunni Muslims to say Amin after a brief moment of silence, which serves to distinguish this utterance from the Quran itself. It is not considered obligatory, but is reported to have been the custom of the Prophet and is strongly recommended by Sunni scholars. Some advocate saying it aloud while others recommend saying it under one's breath. Most understand Amin to mean, O Allah, answer us, which functions as a supplication. Others say that it is one of the names of Allah, while others say it means, thus shall it be. This last meaning is the closest to the meaning of the Hebrew cognate Amen. In this sense, it is a declaration of affirmation and is understood to seal upon one's prayers. Yeah, so that's also an interesting point, that if you read Amin as thus shall it be, you're making a request and you're speaking with confidence that it will happen, which I think is fascinating. Okay, any thoughts or questions? All right, we'll stop right here, and next time, inshallah, we'll get into Surah 2. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta. 
نستغفرك ونتوب اليك واخر دعوانا ان الحمد لله رب العالمين